test. All right. All right, you can come on back. We're going to be in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. Chapter 11 today. This is probably one of my favorite chapters in the book of Hebrews, is chapter 11. You'll find out why. Uh, I've entitled it Great Faith. Entitled it. So we've been going, working our way through the book of Hebrews. Uh, we talked chapter 4, chapter 2, we're talking about drifting away. Uh, perseverance, chapter 10 is on perseverance. Uh, persevering through difficult times and seasons in life. The overall message of the book of Hebrews is to hold on in difficult times. And why is, why is he saying that? It's because the author is writing to a Jewish population, a Hebrew population, that had embraced Christ as their Lord and their Savior. But now they are being pressured by people that had rejected Christ. They had a name for him. They called him Judaizers. So if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see it in the book of Acts. During Paul's ministry, that um, he'd go first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Some people embraced his message and then some rejected him. And some of the Jews especially resisted, resisted his minister, ministry. And so they called them the Judaizers. They wanted to still be saved by the law. They wanted, that's how they got their righteousness and, and uh, sacrifices and such. So talking about sacrifices, I guess in the news is about Israel getting these five red heifers to s- possibly start up sacrifices again in Israel. So that, that's end time stuff. If uh, Israel goes back to doing the sacrifices, that is part of end times, uh, preparing the way for Christ to come back. So, um, yeah, so... So, yeah, some interesting things happening. Uh, you have to read your Bible, but you also have to listen to the news a little bit too, don't you? So Hebrews is it's written to these believers that are contemplating, saying, you know, is it worth following Christ even though I'm going through difficulties and suffering? All right? Is it worth it? And that's what the author of Hebrews is encouraging them to do, to not let go, to hold on to the faith because it is worth it. All right. And so in chapter 11, we are going to see uh, people of faith. We're going to talk about faith. So there are several halls of fame in our nation. Can you think of some of them? Halls of fame? Baseball Hall of Fame, and that is located where? New York. Where in New York? I should have brought prizes, or at least Bible bucks, right? (laughs) It is in Cooperstown, New York, baseball. What's another Hall of Fame? Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I was wondering if somebody was going to bring that up. Where is that located at? Cleveland, Ohio. Have you been there? No. All right. There is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Where is it? Where's another one? NFL. And that is located where? Canton, Ohio. Man, these are our trivia guys over here. All right, what what other ones? I got a couple others. We had baseball. Oh, I don't know. Do they have a Hall of Fame? Okay. All right. Okay. Skating Hall of Fame. Is <laughs> All right. There we go. All right. There's the Country Music Hall of Fame. Anybody know where that one's at? Nashville, Tennessee, yes, you are right. 
Well, you got the ones that I had down. So if you go into these halls of fame, though, you're going to see people who have excelled in certain areas in their giftings, okay? And most of them are going to have fought through adversity and difficulties and challenges to get to where they were, right? It's not success over the short term. It's usually success over the long term, right? Um, Some of the great players out there, um, you know, you're talking about like a Tom Brady now that is, he's setting records not only because he is a good quarterback, but because he's what, he's 42, 43 now? Man, you know, he, um, and he's still out there. So just because of his longevity, he's going to be setting records that nobody else has been able to set because he's been in it for such a long time. All right? What's that? Oh, I do have boxing, yes. And I bet nobody knows where the Boxing Hall of Fame is. Can, Canastota, New York? So, yeah, yeah. That's what you're going to say, huh? All right. <laughs> All right. So you're going to go into these halls of fame, but you're going to see all these great people. Maybe they'll have a, you know, a, you know, a bronze statue of them or a picture, whatever, memorabilia. They'll have all their awards and stuff like that on the walls for you to see, right? Those are the halls of fame. Did you know the Bible has its own hall of fame? Did you know that? You didn't know that. All right. It is found in Hebrews 11. It's called the Hall of Faith. And so we're going to see people um, that are the heroes of the faith that Hebrews points out. All right? So we're going to read through verses 1 through 40. And uh, as we do, uh, you can follow along with me. Your own copy is God's Word. It will be on the screen, but I encourage you to have your own copy of God's Word. Uh, You can use the electronic version, too. I use both, depending on the situation. But let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to study your Word together and to grow in you and even grow our faith, Lord. Um, And so, Lord God, we thank you, and we invite your presence here. Amen. Amen. Chapter 11, verse 1, and if you'd follow along with me, I may make some comments here and there. Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about what we do not see. All right, so we could just preach on that verse alone, right? We can have faith in things that we see and that we have the evidence for. But faith is all about believing in something that we do not see or can't touch, we can't feel, we can't see. Okay? Verse 2. This is what the ancients were commended for. So now we're going to see some of these great people that as we go into this hall of fame, we're going to see some of the great people that are there. First of all, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. We're not getting to the people quite yet. We're almost there was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is invisible. So you go to Genesis 1.1. It says that out of nothing, God created. You know, we can create a lot of things. Mankind, we create a lot of different things, don't we? Bridges, buildings, we're sending people to space, right? But here's the thing. We don't create out of nothing. We need materials. We need resources to create. Out of nothing, God created the universe and all that we see. Out of nothing. Right? There's a joke about that. Um, God and a scientist were having a debate. And the scientist wanted all the materials. And God says, no, you get your own dirt. (laughs) All right. All right. 
Okay, here we go. Verse 4, by faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. Okay, so now we're going to see some of these people, Abel. By faith he was commended as righteous and God spoke well of his offerings. By faith Abel still speaks even though he is dead. So he was one of the first people back in Genesis and we know that Cain would kill Abel because there was resentment there. But Abel offered a better sacrifice. So there's some good teaching there. Verse 5, by faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. Wow, wouldn't that be amazing? Uh, maybe Jesus will come and rapture us out. But if, if we, uh, you know, that may be too far out there. If, if so, then we're all going to pass through death. But Enoch, it says, he could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. So Enoch walked with God and he was not, is what it says. All right. Verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please God because God, um, it, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So we'll come back to them. Verse 7, by faith Noah warned about things not yet seen. In holy fear he built an ark to save his family and by his faith he is commended, um, condemned the world and became the heir of righteousness that is in keeping with his faith. Now think about that. God says, go build a big ship that can hold hundreds of people and livestock and animals, right? It hasn't rained. Not only in a long time. If you read the story, it hadn't rained, period. The, wa the earth was watered through the water from the earth, through springs and stuff. So when the flood came, it's the first time they'd experienced rain. They were probably thinking, Noah, you are nuts. You're crazy. You're going to build an ark? Why? Yeah, I mean, like build an ark right now in Nebraska. It's kind of like, why? <laughs> There's no water, right? But he built it by faith. And it then became what saved his family, right? Verse 8, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place later, received his inheritance, obeyed and went. So he left what would be kind of modern day Iraq. He would leave in Haran. Uh, is where his relatives, but he would leave that area and would go to what is now Israel. Um, he did not know God. He came from a polytheistic nation, and so God calls him. There's just a lot of faith involved there, folks, and he was not perfect, but his faith grew through his mistakes and through his growing pains. Verse 9, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac, Jacob, who were heirs with him, of the same promise. For he was looking forward to a city with foundation whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, or age, was enabled to bear children because she was considered him faithful who had made the promise. Okay, so she's, she's done having kids, didn't have any kids, and then she has a kid. All right, kind of cool. Verse 12, and so from this one man, as good as dead. In other words, he was not able to produce children anymore. Came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. So he is considered the father of the Jewish people. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised them. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. So there's that idea that 
Not everything that we ask for in faith are we going to receive here on this earth. Some of it is by faith we'll receive when we get into God's promise and into heaven. Amen? And I think we need to remember that. Verse 14, people who say these things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had not been looking for the country, they would have left. They would have opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to call them children, called to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. And remember, Isaac was answered a prayer, right? They weren't able to have. He was the promised son. Verse 18, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise him from the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead because he basically said, God, he's yours, whatever you choose to do with him. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. And by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus, the Israelites from Egypt, and gave them instructions concerning the burial of his bones. You know, that wasn't going to happen just in a few years. It was how many years before they would exodus? Did you say 400? Yeah, that's what I think. 400 years. 400 years. So it's not like it was going to happen tomorrow. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because he was no ordinary child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Okay, so at that time, Pharaoh was killing all the infant boys. Verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. And Moses did have a choice. He could have stayed just as Pharaoh's adopted son. Instead, he chose to be identified with the people of God. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Because, again, he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. Great, great phrase there. That's also used of uh, Hagar in the wilderness. She saw him who was invisible. Verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn, firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. So when they come out of Egypt, right, they, that, that last plague was the Passover lamb. Um, the death angel comes through. They, they sacrifice the Passover lamb, put the blood on the doorposts. If you had the blood on the doorposts, the death angel passed over and they were not harmed. And so when we fast forward to Christ, he is referred to as our Passover lamb and death passes over if the blood of Christ has been applied to our life. Isn't that cool? Isn't that cool how God knew all that, how that all was going to fit together? All right. All right. By faith, verse 29, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but the is Egyptians tried to do so, but they were drowned. All right. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell and the, after the army had marched around them for seven days. And by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. 
Verse 32, and what shall I say? What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon. Okay, he was a judge, Barak a judge, Samson a judge, Jephthah a judge. About David, a king, and Samuel the prophet, and all the other prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. Who did that? Daniel, right? We're talking about that on Wednesday night. Who quenched the fury of the flames. Again, Daniel. And escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. There were others that were tortured, refusing to be released so that they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. Some were put to death by the stoning. Others were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They were went around in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and the holes of the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what was promised. So they received some of the things. But what was still out there that they didn't receive when they passed away? The hope of heaven, right? Since God had planned better for us that not only together with the would they be made perfect, all right? So these are the great people of faith. So if you go into this museum, this hall of fame in the scripture, you're going to see Abraham, you're going to see Moses, you're going to see Gideon, you're going to probably see Elijah there, and Elijah. Elijah was great, but Elisha did twice as many miracles. I mean, he made an axe head float out of a river. You know, how many times could that, you drop something in the river, cell phone, right? Right? If you had the faith of Elisha, you could say, hey, cell phone, come to the surface, right? And it would. He dropped things. In. I know John has dropped things in the water when he's fishing. I know. I know he has, right? There's no getting it back sometimes. Now, my glasses fell in the Blue River on baptism day, and Paul did find them in the muddy Blue River. I don't know how he did it. I think it was God, right? He found them, all right? So God does make some good things happen, all right? All right? But you're going to see all these great people. So what, are, what made them great people of faith? What made them great people of faith? It's not like they grew up in a Christian home and they had Christian school. Very few of them had that upbringing. Abraham, there again, he, was grow, he grew up in a heathen family, nation. Moses, he had a decent upbringing. Some of the prophets, they probably had a decent upbringing, but they weren't perfect people. What are some of the char- great characteristics of great faith? So how can we become a person of great faith? So we're going to walk through these. The first one, in a person of great faith believes in God's existence. That's where we have to begin. Because you can say you have faith, but faith, if it's not attached to the living God, isn't going to do you any good. Am I, are you following me? You can say, hey, I have faith, but if it's, if it's a God, a little G, right, like the prophets of Baal, it didn't do them any good, right? They cried out, they cut themselves, their God did not answer. You have to believe in God's existence. God is not a figment of our imagination. We know that he exists because we have a relationship with him. And our faith must be based in that, and we have to believe that he exists. Without faith, we cannot know God and please him. Faith is woven into every part of our Christian life. 
By faith we are saved. You cannot be saved by anything else. You are saved by faith. We are justified by faith. In other words, I'm made righteous by faith, not because of my works, not because of all the good things I do. I'm saved and I'm justified by faith. And by faith we live each day with the grace and strength that God provides. So many people in our world claim that they believe in God, that they have faith. In that passage of James, we'll read it here in a little bit. It says, even the demons believe. Did you know demons believe in God? Are they going to be saved? No, that was an easy question. Okay. <laughs> that was not a trick question. No, they're not going to be saved. But they believe in God. So you have to faith. You have to believe that it exists, but it also trust in him and having faith in him. I want to share one of the people that is mentioned as a person of a great faith that believed in God's existence. She grew up in a very heathen culture. She believed in gods made of wood, stone, and precious metals. And now she was an adult and she made her living in a very questionable way. Anybody know who it was? She did not know Jehovah, Yahweh. But she realized that he was able to do things that her gods were not able to. She heard stories as people came through her community. One day, two spies came into her home to escape being found. She could have turned them over to the authorities. Instead, she risked her own life to save them and rescue them. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Rahab. Rahab the prostitute is probably the label she wore there for a while. But by faith, they said, you know what? If you, because you saved us and you allowed us to escape out of your window, because she was on the wall of Jericho, they said, if you put a scarlet cord out this window when we come and invade this town, God will spare you. Anyone, you, but anyone who is in your house. And so that day comes, they did the circle, seven days, finally the walls fall down. She had the cord in the room, hanging out the window, and God spared her and her family. The cool thing about this, folks, she was a Gentile, and she was, you know, she wasn't considered probably the most righteous a person, right? Right? We wouldn't think those, think so, right? But she is brought in. Not only is her life spared, folks, but she is brought into the Jewish community. She is made one of them because of her faith. What's what's even more cooler? She's in the lineage of Christ. Read it in the Gospels. She is in the lineage of Christ, included with God's people. Why? Because she had faith. Faith is not static. It is active. So you can say you have faith all you want, but if if you can't take that step without knowing what is ahead because you can't see it, you can't touch it, Faith is active. It is not stagnant. And it doesn't operate in a vacuum. In other words, it doesn't happen in a perfect world. Where faith shines is in an imperfect world where we have to walk by faith. Rahab had heard the stories of how the God of Israel had defeated Israel's army and how God had provided the miracle. Maybe it was going through the Red Sea or providing the manna um, or the, the quail each and every day so that they could eat. Um, how God had rescued him from their enemies. And so, by faith, she says, I want to serve that God. Because my gods are useless, are futile. 
And so she placed faith in God. James 2, 21 through 26 says, Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together. His faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled, says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And he is called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do, not by faith alone. In other words, James really comes down hard on this is that faith is in motion. It's action. You can say you have faith, but if you're not willing to act on it, he says, do you really have faith? In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. As the body... Without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. In other words, faith without action is dead. You have to believe that God exists, and you have to put that in motion. Amen? That is a person of great faith. You know, and I, so you, you could have a Ph.D., you could have all this education, you could have grown up in the church, but that doesn't make you a person of great faith. Okay? Those are all good things. Okay, I'm not taking away. But a person that is fairly new to the faith like a Rahab can come in and become a person of great faith. You following me? Because she believed in God and took action on it. All right, number two. Secondly, a person of great faith not only believes in God, the existence of God, but is focused on one outcome. To me, this is the hard part. I don't have a problem believing in God and His faithfulness. I have problems believing in one outcome because there's always, well, this could happen, this could happen, and this could happen. But that's not faith. So the Greek word for faith means faith, trust, and belief. True faith is based on our trust and confidence of God. So it is that relationship part that as we walk with God, we develop a relationship with Him and we trust Him, right? But it sees one outcome. It's not, it doesn't doubt and it's not double-minded. Okay? Faith sees one outcome. James 1, 6-8 says, But when you ask, so when you come to God, you must believe and not doubt. Doubt means you're, you see two outcomes. Yeah, God may answer my prayer and He may not. Because the one who doubts is like a wave on a sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. Wow, is that hard, folks? Can we be honest? Yeah. Faith sees one outcome when we come to God. You know, Gideon was a man. He's mentioned in that hall of faith. He's one of the people that is displayed there. But he's a man that grew up in Israel. He probably knew the heritage. But during that time in Israel, is during the time of the judges, so it's before the kings. They're in the promised land. But everybody was kind of doing whatever they wanted to do, whatever was right in their own eyes. And because of that, um, they were being um, oppressed by the Philistines. They would come in, and just as the crops were getting ready to harvest as they are now, they would come through, set them on fire, or take them for themselves. They tried to subdue the Israelites in any way they knew how to. And so one day, Gideon is threshing grain where? Out in the threshing field? Out in the open? Where they should be doing it? Where's he threshing grain? 
in his wine press. Why? Why do you thresh grain in a wine press? Because it was secluded, it was hidden. He's doing it in secret because he's this brave, mighty warrior, right? Right? I'm saying that facetiously, all right? And God appears to him and says, Hey, mighty man of valor, I have a de- job for you. And Gideon says, Who, me? You know, I'm the least in my family lineage. And, you know, here I am threshing wheat in a wine press. You know, I'm a great man of faith and courage. And God says, You're my man. And he says, Well,. I'll put out this fleece, and if it's wet in the morning, I'll know that, God, you're speaking to me, you know, and it was, he went twice, he went through this, and one day it was wet, the one day it was dry, and he knew that God was speaking to him, so he gathers the army together, Um, Israel was following other gods, Baals and Asherahs, in fact, even his family was, they weren't very happy that he burned down the family altar and all that type of stuff, but he gathers an army, and God says, you know what, you've got too many people, kind of like whenever, whenever having too many people an, <laughs> an issue, a problem, God says, you need to get it down. So they sent people away. And finally, they get it down to 300 people against a vast army. And God says, now we have the right number of people. And they went down just with their pitchers. Their, they had lamps, candles in their pitchers. They broke them. They invaded. The army turned on themselves. And they defeated the army, this vast army, by 300 people. Pretty cool. But that's faith, folks. Gideon could have been going to his death with 300 people, right? He could have been. And we can look at the life of Gideon and say, man, you know, yeah, I could do that. Could you? See, faith and action go together. You have to believe in one outcome. And then Gideon even went down and did a little spying, and, and he heard them over talking. And the guy says, yeah, man, I had this dream, and the this bread, this loaf of Gideon came into our camp and just totally wiped us out, rolled over us. And it's kind of like, oh. He goes, God has given him sin into their hands. And so he went back excited, and God did defeat the army that day. Gideon. There again, Gideon, we would not say, just looking at him and say, man, he's a great might, mighty man of faith. He was an ordinary man, probably that had similar things like you and I. And even was reluctant to trust God with the mission that he'd called him to do. Through people of faith like David, Goliath, Gideon, and Rahab, and Abraham, they placed their faith in God. We may not always or ever know how God will bring things to pass, but through faith, people see the heart of God and they act upon that in faith and see the plans of God come to pass. One of the gifts of the Spirit is faith. Did you know that? It is faith. And that is where you have this special gift of faith to believe and trust people. Some people just have, I think, a gift of faith. They just tend to trust God for more. Um, But I find like with a lot of us, it is like a muscle. You have to get in the gym and you say, God, it begins with placing faith in him for some of the smaller things. And you realize, you know what, God, you provided for that. Man, I... I was a little nervous about all that, right? You know what? And, uh, you know, maybe you increased your giving or or maybe you uh, gave towards something or maybe there was a health issue and you trusted God and all of a sudden God brought you through. It's kind of, woo! Man, you're just, you know, you have that big sign of relief. You know, God had it all in control, right? But we're all white-knuckling it, right? 
God had it all under control. And it's kind of like, okay, we can trust God for the next thing, right? Okay. Number three, people of great faith trust the promises of God. Our faith in God is not empty. We are confident that God will bring to pass what he has promised. Um, Abraham grew up in a polytheistic nation. I mentioned that. And God would appear to him and he would say, follow me to a new land and I'll make you into a great nation. That sounds good. Maybe he was getting scammed, all right? I tried getting, you know, I had somebody try to scam me this morning on Facebook, so it's on my mind. Abraham believed and that faith was evident because he left his family, his home, to follow God to a place he had never seen or experienced. God blessed him and his wealth grew. Livestock servants. And at the age of 100, he still did not have a son by Sarah to carry out his promise, the promise that God had given him 20, 25 years earlier. You know, God gives us promises, and we want God to say, man, you gave me this promise, God. We want it the next day, right? Next week, next month, next year. But 10, 20 years go by. But God heard the promise. After they no longer could do anything, they couldn't have their own children, and God says, okay, now it's time for me to do my thing. You're going to have a son. Isaac means laughter because Sarah laughed when she heard the news. She laughed. She goes, oh, now that I'm no longer able to have kids, now I'm going to have a kid. Yay. (laughs) She could have been a grandma, right? Um, You know, and Abraham, the great man of faith he was, he did try to make the promise come true his own way, right? And so he tried marrying Sarah's servant, Hagar, and that just became a mess. So you have Isaac, uh, Ishmael that's born. Ishmael wasn't a bad, um, you know, a human life is never bad. It's just that Abraham tried to fulfill the promise on his own means. And it didn't work out very well. So when you think about it, it's kind of like, God, you're not making your promise come true. I'm going to try and do it my way. Just rem- be reminded of his story that it might not go as good as what you think. And you make a mess of it, and then it's kind of like, okay, God, Come and do your thing. You know, Abraham made several mistakes and failures. In fact, he lied about his wife twice, right? That, hey, she's my sister. Why did he say that? Because he didn't want people to kill him because he'd go into, well, half-sister, yes. Well, but the reason he was doing it is (laughs) he was trying to get his life, he was looking out for his own skin there, right? Um And Abraham believed God. But he wasn't perfect. But when it finally comes down to where God says, hey, I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac, when he finally gets a promise, he says, you know what? Here he is, God, whatever. If you're going to raise him back to life, whatever. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I trust you. That's a lot of faith. That's a lot of faith. And God kept his word, provided the ram in the thicket, And God says, I know I can trust you. The author of Hebrews includes this chapter because the people were weary and they needed faith. You know, and as the people of God, I don't know where you're at right now, but maybe you need a little bit of a boost of a faith boost. And um, our world right now has so um, injected us with fear COVID did it, but other things are doing it. 
So we're still, feel, we're still fearful of COVID. We're still fearful of that we're going to go into recession if you turn on the news. You know what? We may have a recession on the horizon. I don't know. All I know is we lived through 2008. I've lived like through three of them so far. You know, I'm still alive and kicking. All right. God provided. Never went hungry. Always had a roof over my head. But our world is pumping so much fear into our lives. And see, the antidote for fear is what? It's faith, right? So yeah, there may be things out there that are real threats, but I also have a God that loves me and I can put my faith in him because I know that he is real and I know his promises and I can walk by faith and I can trust him. Amen? So I'm going to have the musicians come. Hebrews 12, I usually haven't included, when I've kind of preached on this, I haven't usually included this part. But it, in some of your Bibles, it doesn't break there. You have the chapter 12, verse 1 that starts, but actually the titles starts in verse 4 of chapter 12. Why? Because the thought is still going. So verse 1 of chapter 12 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So you're going into this hall of fame. I see Abraham. You kind of look like Abraham, Roger. Okay. You got Abraham. You got Isaac. You got Samson. You got three muscles, right? Samson. You got David. Elijah and Elisha. Samuel. And you see all these great people of faith. It's kind of, wow. Kind of a little bit overcome in the moment. But then you say, as we walk in there, we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Who are these great cloud of witnesses? It's all these people of faith. And they're in the stands doing what? They're cheering you on. Saying, you know what? We were just ordinary people. We did it. So can you. You can be a great person of faith. And since we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, throw off everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles. We do have that happen every once in a while, don't we? We're human. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the Father of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you do not grow weary and lose heart. You know, those people are mentioned because the author of Hebrews believed that in this room here today, there are people of great faith. Some of you have exhibited it in certain areas of your life. Some of you, it's still budding and still green. But there's great faith there. And I don't know what's going to come on my way, your way. But I know that God can raise up faith within you to be the person he's called you to be. Amen? A person of great faith. You need faith to be saved. You need faith to trust him. I want to close with one final illustration before we, before we go here. So stay with me. George Mueller, 
He was a Christian evangelist and director of Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England. Okay? And he was one of the founders of the Plymouth Brethren Movement. He cared for 10,000 orphans during his lifetime, over 10,000 orphans. He provided educational opportunities for the orphans to the point that he was even accused of some by raising the poor above <laughs> the natural British life. He established 117 schools which offered Christian education to more than 120,000 people. That's him. Kind of looks like an ordinary guy, doesn't he? But an orphanage is a little bit like a church or another parachurch organization. Try raising funds for an orphanage. And there was days that they did not have food for the kids. He didn't put an ad in the paper. He didn't get on the radio. Instead, he got down on his knees and prayed. You know what? The next day, the food would be there. Um, You have a chance to read his story. This is what he said about faith. He said, God delights to increase the faith of his children. I say, and I say it deliberately, trials, difficulties, and sometimes defeat are the very food of faith. We should take them out of his hands as evidences of his love and care for us and developing more and more than that faith that he is seeking to strengthen us. Okay? So when we have difficulties, those are the food of faith because that's how we build our faith, right? Wow, that's optimistic, isn't it? Faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There's no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. Fear is out there. It's real. And faith does not operate in the vacuum where no fear exists. It operates in a real world where there are fears, there's difficulties, there are trials. But that's where faith is evident and grows. Amen? Would you stand this morning as we wrap things up? By faith we are saved. And if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you don't know for certain that you have the hope and the promise of heaven, I'm going to lead us in a prayer of salvation. Um, If you mean it with all your heart. And then I just want to offer a prayer over each of you here. Will you join me in a prayer of salvation this morning? Saying, Dear God, forgive me of my sin. By faith this morning, I place my faith in you as my Lord and Savior. By faith, I accept the work on the cross and your plan of redemption. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Father, this morning, I thank you for your people. And I believe in all my heart there are people here of great faith. Because that hall of faith is still being added to since the author of Hebrews wrote chapter 11. There's more great people. One would be George Mueller, but there's other people of great faith that have walked with you since that time. And they also, many of them are in heaven and they're cheering us on saying, we did it, you can do it as well. You can walk by faith. You can inherit the promises of God. You can grow in your faith. And so Father, this morning, you see each one of us. You know where we're at like the one man that said to Jesus give me the faith to believe 
And Lord, maybe that's us this morning. Give us the faith to believe, to trust you. Lord God, where doubt wants to creep in and steal the faith that we have, Lord God, I pray that you would give us that single focus to trust you, to walk with you, to make us great people of faith, to trust you for even some of the most incredible things, Lord God. Because faith operates in the realm of the impossible. Lord God, we give you the thanks. We give you the praise. We ask it in your name. comes to life a little bit more after you do Hebrews 11, doesn't it? In fact, I think it maybe was written with Hebrews 11 in mind. Um, but as we go today, we, sometimes we have people come forward for prayer. This morning, could I just, every eye closed, and if, if you have a need this morning that is stretching your faith muscles, would you just raise your hand? you just raise it to the Lord this morning and let's just bring our request before God as scripture says let's bring them to God this morning Father this morning you see the hands that are raised you know the request maybe it's for healing maybe it's financial provision maybe it's for relational issues maybe it's a longing in the heart Lord God it's something a promise that you've placed there and it just hasn't happened in our time frame or as quickly as we want it to God but God you see that you hear that prayer, Lord God. Lord God, increase our faith. Help us to trust you, Lord. To never stop believing, Lord God, but to place our faith and trust in you to walk with you each and every day. And God, we bring that request before you because you are able to do more than we can ask, think, or even imagine. We give you the thanks and the praise. Go with us this week. Let us be the people of God. Let us be salt of the earth, the light of the world, Lord God. is a beautiful time for the light of Christ to shine out of our life. Even in sometimes the difficult times of life, our light shines even brighter. So Lord God, go with us. Go with us in your favor. We ask in the name of Jesus and everybody said, Amen. May God bless you this morning. Greet each other as you leave and uh, just be the church. Amen. God bless you.